0: next reading is from Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens no one can shut. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Well... We have come to
1: the second last letter that Jesus writes to the seven churches in Revelation. And this letter Jesus is writing is to the church in Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia, believe it or not, wasn't famous for cream cheeses. Philadelphia was famous actually for nothing, it was a pretty forgettable city. It wasn't a capital city. It was small, uh, often forgotten, and the same with the church in Philadelphia. It was a pretty forgettable church. It was an unimpressive church. It was a small church. Have a look at verse 8, halfway through, what it says about this church in Philadelphia. It says, I know that you have little strength. That's what Jesus says about the church in Philadelphia. Now, last week, you remember, we looked at the church in Sardis. Everyone wanted to be a part of the church in Sardis. I mean, there were people queuing up to go. They kept putting on new services. You'd be following them on social media and seeing all that they were doing and saying, gee, Sardis is the place to be. Look at their website. Look at all the impressive programs they're doing. Jesus said Sardis had a great reputation. But I remember last week, I called my sermon how to resuscitate a dying church, (laughs) because Jesus saw through it all and saw that they were dead. Well, here we have the church in Philadelphia, and the church in Philadelphia is like the church down the road from Sardis. Everyone knows about Sardis, but no one's ever heard of the church in Philadelphia. If you were a member of that church, you'd be there on a Sunday looking around and going, gee, there's not many people here. Gee, we're not. We're not very impressive, are we? G ministry's been hard. I mean, it doesn't seem like we're growing. It doesn't seem like new people are coming. And our budget, we're really struggling, struggling to, to pay for basic things. We're sharing our pastor with a few other churches because we can't afford. And, and, and we're just weak. And they're especially weak because they're suffering. It says in this passage that the Jews have been causing this small little church to be persecuted by the Romans. They're, they're losing property. They're losing uh, possessions. They're losing influence. They are struggling. It's hard. I wonder, if you, do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel weak? Perhaps you're here this afternoon and, and that's how you feel you feel like the problems that you're facing right now are just far too great for you to handle. You feel like your strength is almost gone, that it's too hard. You, maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel like a nobody. Perhaps you feel weak physically, weighed down by sickness or pain or frailty perhaps you are the only Christian in your family and you constantly feel alone. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace and you're constantly feeling like you're misunderstood. And maybe you're here this afternoon and you're spiritually weak. You used to be on fire for Jesus, but now you feel like your faith is just hanging by a thread. I spoke to someone like that after church last week. She was in tears and just said to me, being a Christian is hard. And she's right. It often is hard. Maybe you feel weak in your ministry. You're serving in some kind of way. Maybe you're, I don't know, serving in kids' ministry, and you feel totally out of your depth. Maybe you're leading a connect group, and you're just feeling discouraged because people aren't turning up. Whatever it might be, I mean, I feel, feel that often when I'm preaching amount of times on Saturdays before I'm preaching on a Sunday and I just feel weak. Thank God. How can I do this? God, I need you. It brings me to that point of weakness. You know, so often in our culture around us, we we crave strength. So our culture is all about looking good, being strong, working out, having influence, being successful. And, you know, it is so poisonous when we let that creep into the church. Success syndrome. When, when we think about church, we, we start to think about, oh, we, we want to be impressive and we ha- want to have a fancy building and we want to uh, have the pastor that's preaching at conferences and, and all this. And I'm not saying those things are bad. But the problem is when you're strong, you end up relying on your strength, don't you? You know, you're financially strong, and you place your trust in your finances. You're successful in your career, and you're putting your identity in that. So many things. And yet, God says, if you're weak here this afternoon, if you're struggling, if you feel at the end of your strength, you may feel you're insignificant, but in the eyes of the only person whose opinion counts gods. You are far from it. And Jesus looks at that church in Philadelphia, weak, struggling, forgotten, and he says, he he actually smiles at them. He's happy with them. Isn't that what we want, to make Jesus smile at us? He's happy with them. You know, all the other letters to the other churches, except for one other church, most of them, they all have criticism in it. They all have condemnation in it. Here's what you've got to work on. This letter, it's just positives. Jesus has nothing bad to say. It's just glowing reviews. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. The end of verse 8, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 10. You have kept my command to endure patiently. These guys are loving Jesus. They're the real deal. Unlike some of these other churches, they're living faithfully. And you know what? That's what Jesus cares about. He cares about faithfulness. He cares about faithfulness. It's okay if you feel ordinary. It's okay if you don't feel you're impressive. And even as a church, what Jesus wants most for us is to be faithful, to do the ordinary things Christians have been doing for centuries. The word is preached. We sing songs of praise. We enjoy God together. We serve one another and serve the community. We have the Lord's Supper together. They're ordinary, but they're extraordinary, aren't they? Because God's at work. Even if if we feel weak as we do it, God is mightily at work. I love what the Apostle Paul says. He says in 2 Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Isn't that true? When we're weak, God looks powerful. Well, Jesus, he's writing to this weak church, and he wants to encourage them. They're doing so well. They're being so faithful. And he wants to encourage us this afternoon, whoever you are, no matter how weak you feel, he wants to encourage you. And so what Jesus gives us is four symbols. Four symbols. They're not literal. They're symbols. Here's the first one. He gives them a key. A key. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. How's Jesus described? He's holy, perfect, pure, good, set apart. He's God. He's true. You think about what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. You want meaning? You want the truth? Look to him. At 4 p.m., that means he's trustworthy. It means he's reliable. It means his word is unstoppable. It means he's faithful and you can bank your life on him. If you're here this afternoon and, and you haven't trusted Jesus, can I encourage you to investigate him? He is the truth. He's the truth. And he holds the key of David. Now, keys are a symbol of authority. So I have my car keys. And you don't have access to my car keys. I hope you don't. That means that car's mine. I can do with it whatever I want. I can drive it when I want, I can sell it if I want. It's my car. I'm one of the few people in the room who have keys to this church. It's not really that much of a privilege, but I do. And that means I'm a a pastor here. I've got some kind of authority. Now, Jesus, he doesn't have the keys to your Corolla. It's better. He's got the keys of David. Now, David in the Old Testament was one of God's kings. But there was always a promise that one of David's descendants would be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, the perfect king. And Jesus saying, I have the keys of David. I'm that king. I am the mighty one. It's actually a fulfillment of Isaiah 22, verse 22. There it was Eliakim who had the keys to rule over Israel. But Jesus rules over the church. He died, he rose again, he's on the throne. He's on the throne of this church, he's on the ch- throne of the church around the world. He has authority. And so, you know, when you're weak, well, he's not. He's not weak. He has all authority, he has the keys of David, he is God's king. And that struggling church in Philadelphia at 4 p.m., if we ever feel like we're struggling, if we ever look at the other congregations at the Bridge Church and go, oh, gee, I wish we had the same amount of people as that congregation. Jesus looks at us and says, you may feel weak, but I'm not because I got the keys and I'm the king. And so do you trust him? You trust him 4 p.m. Well, the second thing Jesus holds out to this struggling weak church is he gives them a door. He gives them keys and he gives them a door. Verse 7 again, halfway through. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. What's the door? We saw it in the kids' talk. It is access to God. It's a relationship with God. It's being saved. You think of what Jesus said in John chapter 10? He said, I am the door. I am the door. Whoever wants to come through me will be saved and when jesus hung on that cross for you and my sin he opened the door to a relationship with jesus forever that door was shut but he made a way and by the way do you notice what it says what he opens no one can shut See, if you're a Christian here this afternoon, Jesus has opened the door for you. You're forgiven. You do not have authority to shut that door. You may say, Oh, there's no way God could forgive me for what I've done. No, Jesus' death for you is sufficient. You have no authority to shut the door, He's opened it. But in the same way, you can't open the door yourself. It, You can't make your way into heaven or into a relationship with God on your own terms. No, he needs to open the door. It's by his grace. It's by his love. We can't earn it. It's all him. The door is open. But there's another meaning to the word door. Because over and over again in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul prays that there would be a door open for ministry to share the gospel of Jesus. You see, because a door has been opened by Jesus to be saved, there's also a door open to tell others about Jesus. We want to share the love, the hope, the grace, the peace of Christ to a needy world. And there are doors open here at 4 p.m., aren't there? There's doors open here in Neutral Bay to share Jesus. What doors? is? God opened in your life, what opportunities has God given you to share the hope and the love of Christ? See, he uses us in our weakness. He opens doors in our frailty. There's a story of a house servant, and his job was to go to the stream and collect water for his master. And he carried two big pots on a pole, one pot on each end, and walked to the stream, filled up the pots. One of the pots was weak. It had a crack in it. The other pot was perfect. And so this man would walk to the, to the stream day after day, and as he, by the time he got back to his master's home, he only had one and a half pots full of water. The weak pot was half empty. Well, the, the perfect pot was very proud about this. Very proud. He always had a full, full thing of water for two years straight. The weak pot was ashamed. He said to the master, I'm so sorry. Day after day, you depend on me and I'm only giving you half a load because of the crack on the side of my pot. And the servant said, As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. So as they went up the hill, the the cracked pot, he looked down and noticed the beautiful flowers on the side of the path. And the servant said to the pot, Did you notice there's only flowers on one side? See, yes, you're weak, but I took advantage of that weakness. I used you in your weakness. And every day after I get water, I go out and pick the flowers and take it to my master's table. I tell that story because it's a picture of how God opens doors in our weakness. We may be frail. We may be nothing. But God opens doors and he uses you and I and he uses the church in Philadelphia. Well, the third thing. Jesus gives this week, church, is a pillar. A pillar. About five years ago, Christine and I were able to travel uh, to a few different places in Europe, first time to Europe, and it was fantastic. And I remember going to all the cathedrals. To be honest, after three weeks, I was over cathedrals. But, uh, you know, for the first week or two, it was great. But, you know, should I say that? There was just too many cathedrals. But anyway, For the first two weeks, I was loving it. And you walk in, and they're just, you know, Notre Dame or um, Westminster. It was just incredible. And you look at these pillars, and, you know, they're not concrete pylons. They're beautiful. (laughs) The pillars themselves are beautiful pillars. And you're looking at them, and they are immovable. They are strong. And you look at them going, these pillars are what holding up this beautiful cathedral all around me. And Jesus is saying, if you are a Christian, you are a pillar in the kingdom of God. You are a pillar in the kingdom of God. Steadfast, immovable, secure. Nothing can shake you. Now, here's why this is incredible. Do you know what Philadelphia, the city, was famous for? You wouldn't feature it on the real estate ads. Earthquakes. Philadelphia had a big problem with earthquakes. Often they would come shatter buildings, but what would remain, the pillars. And so there's no, there's no coincidence that Jesus is saying to this church in a city with a lot of earthquakes, you are a pillar, stable, secure, Romans chapter 8, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, you may feel like the world's against you. You may one day face losing your job for being a Christian or your reputation. Philadelphia was struggling, suffering, but you're a pillar. Nothing can change that. Nothing can shake that. No earthquake, nothing. And that protection, that security, you see it in the previous verse, verse 10. It says, Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. There's all kinds of theories about what this hour of trial is that uh, they're talking about. I, I just think it's leading up to Jesus' return, all the different trials, all the different hard things. For Philadelphia, it was persecution. I mean, think about the last few years for us, COVID, floods, life is hard. And Jesus never promises to give us physical protection. He never promises to take us out of suffering, but he does promise to keep us spiritually safe, to hold on to us, to protect us, to give us peace. No matter what we go through, we are pillars do you feel this sense of security I hope you do a pillar in the kingdom Jesus gives has the keys Jesus opens a door Jesus makes you a pillar and lastly Jesus gives you a name he gives you a name I have decided I'd never get a tattoo Nothing against tattoos. No offence, Betsy, don't, you know. Nothing, I love, I have, you know, if you've got a tattoo here, I think you look great. I've got nothing against them. But two reasons. Firstly, I'm a wuss. I honestly think I'd pass out or something. I don't think I could do it. Secondly, I honestly don't think I could pull it off. I don't think I'm cool enough. You know, back in the day, I wanted to be, you know, a cool pastor. I've given up on that altogether. Those ambitions are gone. Yeah. I don't think I could pull it off. But I love this because... I'm going to say it's like Jesus promises to give you a tattoo. Three tattoos. Three tattoos. The first one, halfway through verse 12, I will write on them the name of my God. Just like a signature where, you know, you write your name on something and you say that's mine. Jesus writes on you his name. You belong to him. He is your God. What comfort in weakness. The second tattoo. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. He's talking about heaven. The new Jerusalem, it's the city of God. And in Ezekiel, there's a prophecy saying the name of that city will be the Lord is there. So Jesus writes on you the name of the city of heaven. He's saying he's with you. He's there with you in your weakness. And lastly, he promises to write on them his new name: Jesus is Lord. He's died and risen again. He's on the eternal throne. Next time you're feeling weak, remember the tattoos that are written on you. You belong to your Father. Heaven is your home. Jesus is your Lord. That's what's written on you. I belong to my Father. Heaven is my home. Jesus is my Lord. Next time you feel insignificant or weak, Remember those truths. Jesus has the keys. He's not weak. You might be, he's not. Jesus opened a door. You're saved, you're forgiven, and he will never shut it. He's made you a pillar, safe, secure. And he's written on your chest, I belong to my Father. Heaven is my home. Jesus Is my Lord. As the band comes up, let's pray. Lord, would you forgive us for the times that we feel strong and self reliant and forget you? Forgive us for our pride. Remind us of our need for your help. For those of us in the room this afternoon who are weak, would you be with those people right now and comfort them and press into their hearts these wonderful truths? And as a church, 4 p.m., would you help us to minister and serve in your strength? Lord Jesus, you have all authority. You've opened the door. You've made us a pillar and you've given us your name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray for your glory. Amen.